Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Heather Lane, Senior Architect at Athena Health. Athena Health is one of the leading U.S. providers of network-enabled services for healthcare and point-of-care mobile apps. Heather joins us on today's program to discuss the implications of new emerging generative AI capabilities on the healthcare space and the systems healthcare providers must implement to leverage their benefits. Without further ado, here's her conversation with Emerge CEO and Head of Research Daniel Fagella. So Heather, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yes. And we've got some topics that I know the audience is excited to learn about. I think everybody's been following this giant wave of generative AI. I think it's it's hit the Twitter sphere and the internet in all kinds of interesting ways. But it's also pretty well documented that there's a lot of challenges with accuracy, with hallucinations, etc. I want to start off with some of your perspective on how healthcare leaders are focusing on implementing this technology that certainly has its fair share of flaws. Yeah, that is an excellent and huge question. You know, so first of all, there is a lot of excitement, you know, I think across the healthcare space. You know, there's a new category of technology. While AI has been around for, you know, 70 years or so, this generation of large language models and generative AI really represents something qualitatively new. And that is very exciting and unlocks a lot of capabilities. People are excited about the possibilities for, you know, reducing overhead and paperwork burden, assisting people with, you know, lots of routine tasks, maybe doing, you know, first level triage or, you know, first level phone triage of, you know, patient calls into doctor's offices and things like that. Lots of possibilities. There's a lot of excitement, but it is also super new technology, right? Like, you know, really, ChatGPT took the world by storm in November, December last year. So we're talking about something that's roughly eight months old. And that leads to, you know, a huge spectrum of challenges from an implementation point of view, from your sort of traditional software challenges having to do with, you know, systems design and integration and cost considerations, up through how do we manage issues like hallucinations and omissions of key information. And, you know, how do we be wary about things like, you know, AI bias and algorithmic bias? You know, but in my mind, the really deepest issue that I think people are having to engage with very quickly is that it is a fundamentally new category of technology. So we don't really have a good mental model of what we can do with that, right? Like at this point, things about, you know, things about web technology, super well understood. Things about, you know, software as a service, super well understood. We have a good model of what we can and can't do with this. This new technology, eight months old, you know, we don't really know yet. And so I think there's a lot of work and investigation within organizations just to try to sort out what is possible. And I'm interested to get a sense of what that's looked like thus far for you folks. I think that there's there's different there's different polls that people can play on here. So there's very few enterprises who are willy-nilly thrusting this technology into all of their workflows, you know, risks be damned. I think there's very few instances of that. However, I think there are individual people using ChatGPT to help them with certain workflows in ways that 
maybe are less than ideal given HIPAA compliance or given other kinds of limitations. So we have kind of the, the one hand where let's really take some swings here. And then we have the other hand, which is, hey, let's wait until there's 75 Gartner reports that all say, hey, this is perfectly safe and it's not going to break any regulations. And only after that happens and the whole rest of the market moves, then we're going to take some steps. It, it does feel like there's probably middle ground. What do you think smart leaders should be doing to explore the possibility space of useful, but also compliant use cases? Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent question. You know, I don't think we can afford to wait for 75 Gartner reports, right? Like, I think the people who do that are going to be so far behind the ball, they're just going to lose completely. So I think it is incumbent that we move quickly. And I think we're seeing that in the marketplace. A lot of people are out there with product announcements and, you know, actual products. Clearly, it's easier for small startups to move fast, you know, but for an organization like Athena Health, we have 150,000 plus, you know, providers on our network. We see, you know, roughly a quarter of the U.S. population every year, you know, as patients. We cannot afford to mess things up, right? Like we owe it to our patients. We owe it to our providers to take this stuff, you know, very seriously and very carefully. So we need to move fast, but also extremely thoughtfully. So, you know, I think the picture that's beginning to emerge from what I've seen in discussions around the industry is that, you know, there needs to be a new category of sort of internal governance around these kind of AI models, you know, starting with very easy things like, you know, we have internal guidance that, you know, you do not use the public chat GPT for anything patient-related, for any PHI or anything HIPAA-controlled, right? Because, you know, that any data that goes into the public one gets captured and used by OpenAI for training and so on. Yep. And there are ways it can be exfiltrated, right? And we've even seen, like there was a news report a couple months ago about engineers at Samsung getting into deep trouble for putting proprietary information into public chat GPT, right? Yes, yes. So we have an internal policy that you only use an enterprise chat GPT, which currently, you know, Microsoft is reselling on behalf of OpenAI, and they give you, you know, a guardrail, you know, walled garden, private data version that you can work with. So you have much higher privacy guarantees and that, you know, that's the space we're guiding all of our internal users to do. And, you know, that seems to be in common with other organizations that I've heard about, you know, but that's just the starting point. You know, you need to think about issues of where it's appropriate to use the technology from a safety perspective, from a privacy perspective. And so I think, you know, we need to be developing internal governance to, to handle these things, right? And that's something that, you know, we're in the process of doing here. And, you know, I cannot speak for anybody else in the marketplace, but, you know, from the rumors, it sounds like lots of people are sort of in that space at the moment, too. I think that's somewhat self-evident. So we, we need to adjust and figure out how to use it. Yep. Nobody's going to disagree with you there. But the particulars of that are sort of where all the value is. So do, do you think this lives inside of the center of excellence? Do you think this has to bubble up from the individual business units and feed to somebody who's in IT or maybe whoever's managing data governance today? Who, who's going to have the mandate? to develop and cultivate these standards? Because they're not going to magically emerge. So for you, who do you think is going to hold the baton on coming up with those rules that will allow the business to get value out of the technology? Yeah, right. So I don't think it's possible to give a universal answer to that, right? Because every organization is different. It has its own internal organization, its own internal culture and structure and way of doing things. 
I can talk about the kinds of stakeholders that I think need to be involved in those decisions. Oh, great. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, so I think that, you you know, in a healthcare perspective, I think you absolutely need somebody involved from a patient safety perspective. I think you need somebody involved from a provider perspective. You know, like we've got a physician advisory board who, you know, some of their representatives, you know, Dr. Neely Jessel, who you talked to a few weeks ago, for example, you know, are deeply involved in some of these efforts. Yeah. I think you need, if you're a fortunate enough organization to have in-house AI expertise, you know, we've got a significant data science team at Athena Health who've been doing this work for seven years. I think, you know, we are deeply involved in the discussions because we bring, you know, perspectives on what is technologically feasible and what you can expect AI to do and not to do. You know, so I think product people need to be involved in understanding, like, where it's appropriate, like where do, where do we want this to be in the product? So I think there are, there are a number of voices that need to be in the room, but how you actually organize that into like the governing council sure, or sure. You know, float up from the grassroots and then get, you know, mediated through some, you know, central governing body or through some distributed set of standards. I think that's going to be organizational dependent. Got it. So it, it is a team sport without a doubt. And I think that hopefully the audience will agree with you in that regard. And I think multiple stakeholders, exactly how they come together, how it manifests, I, I, I suppose, to your point, some of that's going to vary company to company. Speaking on this sort of topic of the, the risks of LLMs, you know, there's been a lot of talk on the pure hype side, on the existential risk side, the, the conversation's getting a little bit more willy-nilly than it was, you know, eight or nine months ago before ChatGPT kind of splashed its way onto the scene. You know, we're having folks like Larry Summers talk about, you know, potentially replacing doctors someday. None of that stuff is maybe directly around the corner, but what do you see as some of the things that are maybe a little bit too talked about right now? You know, some some of the some of the ideas that are maybe getting a little bit more attention than they ought to in terms of the the bigger dialogue of healthcare transformation. Yeah, well, you mentioned existential risk, and that one really bugs me. I am not not a fan of those arguments. I think they're a distraction from the things we really need to be paying attention to. But from a healthcare perspective specifically. There's been a lot of focus on hallucination, which is critical, right? Because you don't want, you know, your model to make up healthcare advice, right? So I think people are very well aware of that at this point and are investing a lot of effort in, you know, how to work around, how to ground things in real world data and things like that. I think the the deeper risk that is maybe not as widely appreciated was only sort of superficially appreciated is that on the one hand, it is a very, very new technology and we're still really understanding it. And honestly, like, you know, if you look into the machine learning literature, nobody really has an understanding of how these LLMs do what they do, right? That yeah. Isn't there, yeah, right. Absolutely. And so that makes it very hard for us to make real judgments about what they can and can't do. But I think more deeply at a social level, We've reached a point in which AI has become very convincing, right? The way I think of it is that AI has finally stepped over the the uncanny valley, you know, to borrow a term from computer graphics. So we've reached a point in which AI looks really, really convincing. And that makes, it inclines people to believe that it's far more capable and far more human than it truly is. 
And I think that is a serious danger because it makes it hard to make good judgments about what you can and can't do with it. Because you look at it and think, right, oh, it's giving me this very plausible, very convincing answer, right? And even hallucinations aside, right, like it's not reasoning, right? Yeah, it can't yeah, yeah, yeah. reason. Yes. It has no understanding of the world. It has no, you know, world knowledge or deep world model, right? So how can you really trust it to make certain categories of decisions? Right. So this is why it's it's definitely not going to replace physicians anytime soon, because it simply doesn't have a way to conceptualize the world in the way that you need to to be a physician. Right. Like you can't consider yeah. broader context or implications or, you know, things like that. But it's really good at fooling us into thinking that it can do that. Right. Yeah. And that, that, I think, is a serious danger point in something that as we are designing features around this, we need to be very thoughtful about and very aware of and, and very careful about. I'm with you. And well, I, I think the, the touchy thing about the word replace is that no guest on the show is ever going to use it, even if they felt it in their heart. So there's this inherent bias where, you know, if you talk about replacing your evil, and so everybody's going to steer clear of that word. So I'm going to steer clear of that word myself, because I don't think it gets a truth very well. But I will ask, you know, to your, I will say to your point, yes, if we're, if we're really not grounding in reasoning, and if we don't have a human that's accountable for an important decision around a surgery or a cancer drug, that does not seem viable in the near term. So I would completely agree there. I would ask from your perspective, what do you think would be the thresholds that AI, I guess, would need to walk through or prove itself on in order for it to gobble up some of those responsibilities? In other words, maybe get rid of some of the tasks that are currently burdening our overburdened physicians around the world today. What are some of those kind of the, the litmus tests that, that you think maybe it has to jump through before people feel more confident? Because to your point right now, there's a lot of people that are not going to feel very confident about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I often feel like sort of the Debbie Downer in the room because I'm talking about the risks and the threats, but I think that there are very real uses here to help, you know, overburdened physicians, as you say. And I think that we do have the, you know, potential capabilities now. For example, you know, documentation overhead is a huge burden for providers. Yes, yes, and yes. You know, this is something that, you know, I think there's a very real possibility that this technology can can significantly assist with documentation burden, right? By, you know, auto-completing, by, you know, summarizing transcripts, by extracting key information from documentation, existing documentation. So, you know, very common occurrence is that, you know, primary care physician will send you off to see a specialist. And the specialist will send a, a report back to the primary care. That report may run to multiple pages, right? You know, your primary care physician has a lot going on. They don't necessarily have time to read, you know, multiple pages in detail. What they need to know are like, what are the key important points out of it, right? That's the thing that I think is probably within the capability space that we're talking about. Got it. So, you know, there are lots of lots of possibilities here. The way we have to approach it is that, you know, we need, because this is new technology that we're still understanding the limits of, I think we need to take a very empirical approach to it. And I mean, I say this as a long-term machine learning person who's been doing this forever. So, you know, my my default approach to these things is let, let's measure and see, right? So I feel like, you know, if we're going to take a use case, like, for example, we want to do document summarization, just to pick one yep. example. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? 
let's try running 100 documents through, look at what the summaries it produces are under, you know, various forms of prompt engineering, you know, and then sit down with our subject matter experts and score each one of those 100 things, right, and come out with an aggregate score at the end, right? And that can tell us, is it, you know, 99% right? Is it 72% right? Right? Like, where does it fall? And from that, we can inform, you know, is this feasible as a product in this space? If it is, what kind of guardrails do we need to put around it? What kind of warnings do we need to put around it? Like, what kind of assistance do we need to give people with it? You know, so for me, it, it starts from measurement. Yeah, I don't know. Does Got that address it. No, no, right? totally. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think that's that's a potentially something actionable for our audience here is thinking about how do we begin experimenting with the tech? I'm going to try to put this in a nutshell. And, and Heather, I want to make sure I'm picking up what you're putting down. But it sounds like there might be a way of thinking here of, hey, let's consider some of the lower risk use cases that are a natural fit for this technology. And so technology summarization or, or things along those lines might be, you know, might be among those, we could say. So we could come up with hypotheses of, of relatively low risk use cases that are a good fit for the tech. Then we can figure out how do we measure it, and we pull in our subject matter experts, and we see in a very controlled sandbox environment where we're not making any big decisions, does this tech, you know, save time, inform physicians, help them do their job, yes or no, and we can figure it out in that little sandbox before we sort of roll it out into the healthcare organization. Is that is that more or less what you're advocating for? Is there anything you'd want to add to that? Yeah, I think that's a good summary. You know, I think as you stated in that way, it sort of reminds me of the the UX cycle, right? Like back in the day, people just, you know, threw UI together and threw it out in the world and, you know, hoped that it worked well. But we've learned over time that it's valuable to have UX people involved and to do real studies on users and to find out, you know, here are two or three different ways to design the UI, which ones actually work well for our users, study what they need, right? And like, you know, get some real world feedback before you take it to you know, production. And so I feel like there's sort of an emerging need for a similar sort of space here where we do that kind of homework up front and we measure and we prove to ourselves for our own satisfaction that it is going to be valuable and time-saving and correct, you know, and all of these other things that we care about, right, before we try to take it to production. Got it. So essentially what you're saying is that enterprises may have to develop this discipline of not just boiling down possible use cases. So thinking through those relatively low risk use cases, but also thinking about measurement and then actually pulling users in and running these little sandbox kind of thought experiments with, with some real users and that this will have to be a, an adopted discipline in some way. Yeah, I think so. You know, as we said, as we've stated multiple times, right, this, this whole branch of technology is eight months old. So brand new process is evolving around it, you know, as we speak. And so I think, yeah, organizations are going to have to, you know, evolve a best practice for how to do this. But, you know, I take as guidance pre-existing processes that we do have, things like user studies, things like, you know, UX. In the data science world for organizations that are, you know, have done data science already, you know, those teams are deeply rooted in a tradition of doing empirical work to, you know, prove the capability of whatever machine learning systems they're building, right? And I think those skills are also, you know, extremely relevant here. Absolutely. So I think, I think that there are traditions that we can draw on, you know, we don't have to start completely from scratch. Yeah. I think we do need to go from those to a new 
you know, sort of a new process, a new organizational process. Big time. And and I guess we'll, I, I want to be mindful of our time, but I did want to fit in one more question that we had sort of jotted down here and just maybe get however many thoughts you think will be relevant, Heather. You're working on data science at a very substantial multi-billion dollar healthcare organization here. And I know there's a lot of people boots on the ground, you know, doctors, nurses, et cetera, who are thinking about how do my skills evolve? You know, what are the new challenges I'm going to face and, and what might I need to to consider in terms of how my workflows will change, how I'll serve my patients, what kind of technologies I'm going to use. Are there any sort of high level lessons or ideas that you have for those doctors who are looking at a, a space that's potentially going to be altering pretty significantly in the next decade? Yeah. So this is a really, really hard problem. I mean, because the space is evolving so, so fast, right? It is. The AI space is like, it's evolving faster than, you know, those of us who do it professionally, like full time, we can't keep track of it. No way. You know, I don't, I don't in any way expect somebody whose real job is seeing to patient health. I don't expect them to be keeping up with this kind of technology. However, as you say, the landscape is going to move. You know, what advice can you give other than, you know, be flexible and be willing to learn, which is sort of like, you know, general career advice for almost everybody. Yeah, yeah. So Heather, I want to be mindful of our time, but I did want to fit in one last question because I feel like you and I have chatted a good deal here about some of the downsides and the risks and hedging against those in terms of our adoption strategies and being considerate about the technology. There's also a lot of hype about the upside, but sometimes that drowns out some of the the real benefits that might be accrued in the industry. When you look forward at the next couple of years about where generative AI might really add value in healthcare, what do you think people are not talking about enough? What are some of those low-hanging fruit areas that people should really be thinking about? Yeah, so, you know, I have talked a lot about, you know, the downsides, but personally, I have an enormous amount of excitement. And I'm going to start at a, like a very big picture level and then drill down a little bit to you. And so for a big picture level, the reason that I'm excited is that, you know, this technology really does represent a qualitative change in our in our technological capabilities. This is really the first time that we have a tool that is as flexible as this, like in, in all of human history, right? We've got a tool that you can ask to do an enormous variety of things and it can just do it out of the box, right? Like you don't have to spend, you know, months programming it or, you know, configuring it or whatever. It just, boom, it's there, right? And so I think we're at, actually at the beginning of a new generation of technology that's going to have widespread repercussions, sort of in the same way that the advent of the web did 20 years ago. So more concretely, what does that mean for healthcare? Yeah, right? yeah. Yes. So we've talked about possibilities for reducing, you know, paperwork burden and things like that. And that's that's absolutely something that I see. Where I personally hope that we will evolve to over the next few years is a mode in which the technology can really be an interactive assistant to enable you know people to go faster and make better decisions more easily with less overhead right and i think of you know having a personal assistant there with you constantly who can not just pick up drudge work from you which is sort of where we're kind of aiming at the moment but can you know foresee your needs a little bit can you know provide you assistance and advice you know, in a relevant and timely way, not just, you know, slamming you with every possible thing that is, you know, in our, 
you know, book of medical best practices, which can be overwhelming if you see it all at once, but like, you know, actually pick out what are the things you really need to see at the moment, right? And I believe that the technology is going to evolve in the direction of, of being more practically intelligent and being more capable in these ways to, you know, assist people to, you know, to do their jobs better and enable them, you know, enable better patient care, right, is, is where, you know, I do see it eventually going, right? And I think it's going to be an evolution, but I think we're actually on the right track for it. I think there's a lot of capabilities and potentials here in the evolution in the AI field, the incredibly rapid evolution, you know, shows that, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of, of positive changes over the next few years. And so just to try to put this in a nutshell, you know, you did mention some of the paperwork processing, you know, some of the coding, some of these very manual monotonous, you know, down in the paper, down in the data entry or data summary side of things. You also mentioned this interesting idea just as we close out about almost this sort of AI assistant that could sort of follow you around while you're doing your job. Maybe it's listening to your transcripts with a patient and it's taking notes and coding things and labeling things. Maybe it's sort of prompting you with reminders or next steps or next actions. Do you see this as something that's going to sort of, in terms of this this ever-present assistant, is this something that's just going to be integrated into the general healthcare software? So wherever I am, but behind the front desk, in, in the room with the patient, whatever, whatever those computers are, they have this software? Or is this something you think eventually gets carried around with the doctor potentially. You know, I'm trying to think maybe a little bit about what the future looks like. Is this is this something that lives on their cell phone or lives on some kind of a a sensor that can kind of give them those prompts, et cetera? Where where might that assistant take place and come to life if you were to hazard a guess? Ooh, you know, as as they say, making predictions is hard, especially when it comes to the future. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's the hardest place to do it. Yeah, I think it's dangerous to make predictions. I can tell you some ideas that I, I, I've got, but I think they're just as likely to be fanciful as, as not. But, you know, personally, I would love to see it or, you know, I think there's the potential for it to be the case that, you know, a physician has a sort of always on device with them that is constantly listening to what's going on and providing helpful information, you know, at time of need you know, and surfacing, you know, information and reminders from charts and yes, and also picking up, you know, some of this drug work as they go along, you know, but also potentially, you know, this could also live somewhat on the, you know, on the patient side. We've talked a lot about generative models and LLMs, but there's a lot of other AI out there. You know, I know there's a lot of excitement at the moment about wearable health devices. Yes. And we haven't really captured the intelligence that's possible from them yet. But I can envision a world in which I'm carrying around a wearable health device that's constantly monitoring me and that is smart enough to give me notifications when I need them and to sync with my doctor huh. when he needs to. Right? And okay. so there could be... Essentially, an ecosystem where the doctor has their assistant, I have my assistant, my person is talking to your person, or my digital person is talking to your digital person, right? And, you know, ideally, these things could be integrated in a way that, you know, we could surface all the information we need to the right person at the right time. That's a pretty blue sky vision. So don't ask me to bet on it. (laughs) That would be that would be sort of a lovely future to arrive at if we could do it well and safely and so on. 
This is this is great, Heather. I like ending on this note, and I really appreciate you painting a picture. You know, nobody we talk to has a crystal ball. I'm sure you know that. As you had said, you know, making predictions is hard, especially about the future. But um, getting different perspectives about the future is the whole purpose of the show here and getting a, a sense of where things might go. And what you've painted for us here is kind of a, a potential future state, a future state where the data and information and prompts can kind of stream out of and stream to the patient and also to the doctor so that we have a much more seamless interaction and engagement around health and we can maybe be more proactive and and more responsive directly to the patient. I think the specifics are going to be a little fuzzy. However, I like the vision and I think it's a worthy one to move towards. So Heather, I know that's all we have for time, but I appreciate you being able to break down some thoughts about the risks and benefits of LLMs in healthcare. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation. If you enjoyed today's episode with Heather, don't forget to check out our episode with Dr. Nalay Jessel, Chief Medical Officer at Athena Health from back in July, titled AI Tools for Improving Experiences for Patients and Healthcare Providers. Really, really stimulating program. I got a lot out of that conversation, especially where the rubber hits the road in terms of administrative costs and things we don't even think of as the patient experience, like parking lots and how they impact brass taxes, how we care for those in need. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.